0: we are turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 23, Luke 23. We're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Luke. Now, Luke shows Jesus to be the perfect man. He is the one who is the final sacrifice for sin forever. We are seeing Jesus as he goes to the cross. Why? It is to die for us, to be our substitute and to be the sacrifice. He is dying and rising again. Of course, that's happened already, but we're looking at it as we go through the passage. He will die and rise again for our sins, pay for sin and conquer death. For the last few weeks, what we've been seeing is the six trials of Jesus, three before the Jews three before the Romans he has been sentenced he has been beaten scourged and is now taken to the place of execution last time we saw clearly the rejection of Jesus by the nation of Israel Jesus gave a warning that judgment was coming it was coming to the nation it was fulfilled in AD 70 in which Rome invaded Jerusalem scattered the people and destroyed the temple we ended last time as seeing Jesus on the cross with two criminals. Now, this morning, we're going to begin seeing and going through this horrible time, and we're going to go as quickly as we can as we see Jesus suffers, how he dies for us. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is get sort of the order of events. We're going to see several things. We're going to see, first of all, some Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled as Jesus is on the cross. And then we're going to look at the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Best we can tell, seven things that Jesus said. We'll actually begin seeing the first of those this morning. In fact, this morning, the issue as we look at the look at this, the issue is forgiveness. And we'll talk about that. In fact, Jesus says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Well, what is forgiveness? And how does forgiveness of sin fit in with the payment of sin? And we'll see that there are two different things. There's a lot that we can gain as we study it this morning. Well, I think one of the key questions is often asked is this. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? I mean, he's the Son of God. He came to this earth. He became a person. Galatians 4:4. 4, 4, In the fullness of time, God brought forth the Son, born of a woman. So he became a human being. Why did he have to die on the cross? Philippians 2 says he humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So why? What was the purpose? The truth that we find from God's Word is that when Jesus died on the cross, He pays for the sins of the entire world. All people have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We all are supposed to be separated. But when Jesus came, He took our place. First Peter 2.24 says, He bore in His body our sins when He was on the cross. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way, but the Lord hath laid on Him our iniquities. Jesus Christ is our substitute. Jesus on the cross took our sin. Paid the penalty. The penalty is death and separation. And he died and was separated from the Father. He took our place. This morning as we study, we're going to see the crowd is actually making fun of Jesus. He's been stripped. He is crucified. He is suffering for us. They are saying for him, they're saying to him, if you're the Christ, come down. If you're the Christ, save yourself and come down from the cross. They do not understand. Jesus Christ cannot come down. If he comes down, if he saves himself, he cannot Save us. He is on the cross as the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. This morning we're going to see Jesus on the cross paying for sin. There's so much in these next few couple of weeks as we go through seeing the crucifixion of our Savior. Well, let's begin. Jesus has been tried. He's been sentenced. Pilate released a man named Barabbas who was a murderer. set him free and delivered Jesus to be crucified. Jesus was beaten. He was scourged. He's now being led to the place of execution. He was so weak, and we saw last week that he was so weak that he was unable to carry the cross. And so the Romans compelled this man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. They grabbed him and said, You carry the cross. And so he followed Jesus out to the place, uh, carrying that cross behind him. It's a sad time as Jesus goes through the crowded streets of Jerusalem. There are people mocking him. There are people making fun of him. But there are also some of the women following behind him, weeping and lamenting. And you remember he said to them, Don't weep for me. Weep for yourself. There's a judgment coming. As we look this morning, we're going to begin to see several things. We'll see the order of the events at the cross. We'll see those over the weeks. We're going to see Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled. We'll see a number of them this morning. We're going to begin seeing the seven statements of Christ on the cross. We'll see the first one. And then we're going to look at the difference or the issue of forgiveness of sin and payment for sin, how they fit together. Well, let me break down the passage for you. First of all, Jesus is taken to the place called the skull. That's verses 22, 23. We'll see the place. We'll see there's two others with him. And then we see Christ speaks. It's his first saying on the cross. It has to do with forgiveness. We see while all this is going on, they're casting lots for his clothes. We'll talk about what that means. And then as we continue looking, there's the mocking by the crowd. There's the crowd, the religious leaders. They make fun of him. Even the soldiers make fun of him. And then we'll see the inscription that is above his head. Of course, it says, this is Jesus or this is the, the king of the Jews. And we'll see how all that fits together. Well, let's see these events. Look at verse 32. We actually saw 32 and 33 last week, We just, but we need to put them together as we continue this morning. Verse 32, it says, Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. Now, Luke gives us information that was more than just Jesus being crucified. And sometimes we don't realize that the Romans crucified a lot of people. That's the, the If you were a Roman citizen, they did not crucify you. But if you were a slave or you were a foreigner and you did something that the Roman government didn't like, oftentimes, they crucified, sometimes they crucified thousands of people. They would just line them along the road. On this particular day, Jesus is being crucified and two others with him. Now notice this because I mentioned it last week. I just want you to see it. It says, Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him." Now, in English, sometimes you just see something, but in the Greek, there's there's a little bit that gives more specific. It says two others. Well, in the Greek, there's a a Greek word for other, which means other of the same kind, and there's a Greek word that means other of a different kind. This is the word other of a different kind. It literally says two others of a different kind who were criminals were being led away. Because see, Jesus wasn't a criminal; they were. Jesus was innocent. They they deserved to die in the sense. In fact, they even say it. One of the criminals we'll see it next week says, "We're getting what we deserve." But Jesus was different, of course. And it says, two others who were criminals, and the word for criminal literally means an evil worker. A person who did something wrong. They had done wrong. They were being put to death by the Roman government for their crimes. Jesus is counted with them. This fulfills Isaiah 53 verse 12 that says he was numbered with the transgressors. You realize that Isaiah wrote some 600 years before Jesus was ever born and he wrote about a Messiah and that the Messiah would be numbered with transgressors. And you would think, how could the Messiah of Israel be counted with criminals? Well, we see what happens right here. Jesus is numbered. Notice verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left they came to this place called the skull now the Greek word for skull is the word cranium and that's where they get it but, but you may have heard of the word like Galgotha, that's the Hebrew word for skull well there's a Latin word for skull and it's the word Calvary See, we we have people say, Jesus died on Calvary's cross, but we may not realize we're saying Jesus died on the skull's cross. I mean, because the word Calvary means skull. And, And it says, they came to the place of the skull. Now, why was it called the place of the skull? I mentioned this last week, but let me remind it to you. Some people say that it looked like a skull. I got to go to Israel. It's been a long time ago, 1976. And when I went, they took us outside the city to a place which is the traditional place that they think Jesus was crucified. And if you get in a certain place and look, there's a hill. And on the side of that hill, if you look just right, you could say, you know, that looks like a skull. Look, look, there's an eye and an eye and sort of like where a nose might be and then a mouth. And so some people say that's why they call it the place of the skull, because it looked like looks like a skull. There's a second view, and that is that so many people have been crucified in that little area that they just called it that because of people's heads and things like that. But a lot of people don't hold to that one. The third view is one that. That traditionally this is where David buried Goliath's head. That when David killed Goliath and cut off his head and came back to Jerusalem, it says he brought his head back to Jerusalem. And the tradition is that he took the head back and that's the place where he buried Goliath's head. And so that's why it was called the place of the skull. Nobody knows for sure, but it was called the place of the skull. They took him there, and notice it says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Two criminals are being crucified. Now, this is taking place very early. You remember that we said that during the night... Jesus had been arrested. He was tried twice before the Jews at night. Then very early in the morning, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel, got together and they tried him a third time. They found him guilty all three times. Then as quickly as they can, very very early in the morning, they took him to Pilate, who was the governor, the Roman governor. And Pilate heard him and said, I declare you not guilty, but he found out that he actually, Jesus was from from uh, Galilee, the northern part of Israel. So he sent him over to Herod. Herod found him not guilty, sent him back to Pilate. Pilate finds him not guilty. So for three before the Romans, he's not guilty. All of this happened very early in the morning because one of the gospels says it was by around seven that they got him to Pilate. And then what they did is they, they then tried him in a sense. It, Pilate turned him over. They beat him. They carried him to the cross and they put him on the cross. And all of this by nine o'clock in the morning. In fact, Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 15 verse 25 says it was the third hour of the day, which is nine o'clock. So Jesus was put on the cross by nine. All of this happened very early. The Jews wanted Jesus crucified as early as possible because they thought the crowd would not know about it. They wanted to get him dead before all the people got out, but it's too late. All the people are there. There's a large crowd at the crucifixion. Now, I want to remind you, I talked a little bit about this last week. But I just want to give you just a brief order of what happened at the crucifixion. It began usually with the scourging. If you remember that Jesus, uh, Pilate, even though he said, I find him not guilty, let's just punish him and let him go. But finally at the end when Pilate said, I wash my hands in this, he turned him over to be crucified. What they did oftentimes is they scourged him. And uh, we talked about this, that the most licks, the most lashes you could get was 39. Sometimes they tied people and hit them. The first 13 sometimes were on the front part. They would just tear the front part of the skin up. Remember the, the whips that they used sometimes had pieces of metal in them or sometimes they had bone in them so they just cut the the skin up. Then after those 13 they'd turn them around and then they'd beat their back. Oftentimes people did not survive it because it was such Such a horrible thing. Jesus did survive it. And then after that, they were to carry the cross. And there were four soldiers, usually four Roman soldiers, to take with each one who was going to be crucified to take them out there. They were in charge of the whole thing. We know that Jesus was too weak to carry the cross. Been up all night, six trials, beaten, all of these things. So Simon of Cyrene follows Jesus. Now, we talked about these four soldiers. And you think to yourself, okay, you're a soldier that day. They say, your job, you're going to be at the crucifixion of this man. You think, okay... Your mind might say, okay, I'll go out there, I'll be there, you know, two or three hours. No, not necessarily. Because sometimes people stayed on the cross for days. And so that Roman soldier might go out there, and he's not saying, I'll be back home, I'll be back to my place in an hour or two. It could be that that whole day... That whole night, the next day, maybe another night before the person died. Because you remember crucifixion, you die by suffocation. Even though they stick you all the way through and you're hanging there, you're hanging there and you're trying to push yourself up. But your hands, you get so tired and it comes and it cuts the circulation off and you suffocate. That's why they had a little place that you could push up sometimes when they nailed you. And so that's how they kept people alive for a while. It was was a torturous thing. They didn't care if people suffered. That was one of the things that they did. When they got Jesus there, when they got someone there, they usually gave him some vinegar with myrrh inside of it, which was sort uh, t- of deadened the pain. They, g- they gave it to Jesus. He tasted it, but he wouldn't drink it because he's just not going to drink it because he's going to be completely alert through the whole thing. Uh, they take the clothes off. They nail the person there. They then nail that beam onto the big beam. They put a sign up there, and then they put it up. And uh, the sign was what the person had done wrong. If you had been a murderer, they put that you were a murderer above your head. For Jesus, they put the king of the Jews, because that's what the Romans, in a sense, found him guilty, that he was the king of the Jews. Well, it's a sad time because he was left to die. The soldiers, one of the advantages of being a soldier, that you got the possessions. When they took all the stuff off the person, you got their clothes. Some One soldier said, I'll take his sandals. Another person said, I'll take this, I'll take this. We're going to find that when they did this, they took Jesus' clothing, but then there was an inner garment that was seamless that was probably the only expensive thing that he had, the only thing that was really nice. And the soldiers decided not to rip it up and they decided to cast lots to see who got that. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but that's what we're going to see. If, if they wanted to be nice, if they wanted to get this over with, sometimes they would go and they would break the legs of the people on the cross. And once you break their legs, they can't push up anymore, and they died very quickly after that. We know in this instance... Jesus, Jesus is the one who lays down his life. Jesus is the one who takes it back up again. We know that Jesus dies, but they wanted to get these bodies off of the cross before the end of the day. And so the Roman soldiers went and broke the legs of the two thieves, the two other guys that were there. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. He had already given up his life. And that's why the Bible goes on to say that it fulfilled the prophecy that one of the Old Testament prophecies, not one bone of his would be broken because he's the spotless lamb of God. Well, at this time, you know, that's a little bit about the crucifixion. Let me, let me show you some prophecies. I just want you to think about some prophecies that are being fulfilled while Jesus is on the cross. First one is Isaiah 53:12. He was numbered with the transgressors. Now, there's a lot of them. I was at Campus Crusade Thursday night, and a person asked the question, J.B., how many prophecies were there about Jesus that were fulfilled? And the best we know that there may have been maybe over 300 One thing for sure, every prophecy dealing with the first coming of Jesus Christ was literally fulfilled. And I can also guarantee you this, that every prophecy dealing with his second coming, which hasn't happened yet, every prophecy dealing with the second coming will be literally fulfilled. Anyway, here's one that said he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah wrote that 600 years before Jesus was born. And yet it says the Messiah would be counted with sinners, with transgressors, with criminals. And he was. Psalm 22, verse 16. Now, Psalm 22 was written by David. A thousand years before Jesus was born. And it's in a first person. So it's actually David speaking. But David is speaking, but he's speaking as if he's the Messiah. Because in Psalm 22, 16, it says, They pierced my hands and my feet. That's what it says. Now you may not realize this, but Psalm 22 is a psalm of David, but it is a prophecy of the Messiah. Do you know how Psalm 22 begins? It begins by this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. That's David speaking, but David is speaking as the Messiah. Psalm 69 verse 21 said they gave him vinegar to drink. They gave him vinegar to drink. He didn't drink it. Go to the next one. At psalm 22, verses 7 and 8 says they mocked him. In fact, it's, uh, that's the psalm that David is writing. But it says they came up and they wagged their heads. Now that means they made faces. That means they came up and they made faces at him when he's on the cross. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that while Jesus is hanging on the cross, they come up and they wag their heads. They make faces at him. That will be fulfilled. And then Psalm 22:18, 18, they cast lots for his clothing. We're going to see it in the passage. That's exactly what they did. They saw that there was one good Item, and they did not want to rip that up and have four pieces, and so they cast lots, and we'll see that. So those are just some of the things, some of the prophecies that were fulfilled. We're going to see more as we go through it. Well, what happens? Notice verse verse thirty three again. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Now here's thirty four. But Jesus was saying. Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and they cast lots dividing up his garments among themselves. Now this is the first the best that we can tell this is the first of the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. Let me give them to you. Now I didn't write out all of it. We're going to see them uh, three of them in Luke and some of the other places we'll see them over the next couple of weeks. The first one he says Father forgive them they do not know what they're doing. He's talking about forgiveness and we're going to see who he's talking about there. The second one he says today you will be with me in paradise and he's talking to the thief because the thief we're going to see what happened there were two thieves beside him and and as he was on the cross they were actually making fun of him but one of them changed his mind and what does it mean today you'll be with me in paradise where is paradise what did Jesus mean by that do you remember Matthew 12 38 through 40 where it said Jesus said as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights so must the son of man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Where is that? We'll see that next week. The third one is he says, woman, behold your son. Actually, he's talking to his mother. We're going to actually see the women who are at the cross. And if you were guessing and you say the name Mary, you did really good. You got three of four because three of them there at the cross are named Mary. There's Mary, his mother, and there's Mary, another Mary. There's a Mary Magdalene, and then there's Mary's sister. And I think next week, if you've never looked, or next week or the week after that, I think it's next week, if you've never looked at who these women are and their connection with each other, And with Jesus. You'll be amazed. But anyway, Jesus says to his mother, and he says, woman, because we'll talk about what that means next week. But He says, woman, behold your son. He sees John. And since Jesus is dying, since Joseph most likely is already dead, he's not mentioned, the other brothers, he's got four brothers, by the way, and none of them believe at this time. So Jesus says to his mother, there is your son. There's the one take care of you after I die. And then he says to John, behold, there is your mother. So we'll see that one as well. And then probably the key one, I mean the key one that we're going to see as we go through this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is on the cross. It's from 12 to 3. Everything turns dark. And Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God, my God, my God, the Father, my God, the Spirit. And this is when Jesus takes the sin of mankind upon himself. We'll see how that ties together. There's some great things there. The next thing is is he says, I thirst. And why did he say that? It, well, he's got something else he's got to say. And the best that we can tell, he's getting where he can't speak because he's just so worn out. And so he says, I thirst. And they come and they put a little stuff up where he can wet his mouth. And He then able to say the next one. And that is, it is finished. What is finished? What's finished is the payment for sin, and we'll talk about that one. And then the very last one is, Into your hands I commit my spirit. He, in a sense, he goes back to be with the Father. And There's some great things there. We'll see how all this ties together. Well, let's see the first saying. Look again at verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, and they cast lots, dividing his garments among himself. The first saying is this one. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Well, Jesus prays while he's on the cross. He's praying to the Heavenly Father for forgiveness for these enemies. While Jesus is dying, he still cares about every human being, especially in the aspect of these Roman soldiers, maybe the crowd, maybe the Jewish leaders. Well, he's saying, forgive them. What's going on? Let me tell you, these Roman soldiers did not know what they were doing. If you'd said to that Roman soldier, do you realize that you're actually crucifying the Son of God, the Savior of the world? They didn't think that at all. They thought, look, we're we're crucifying some guy who's who's violated the Roman government. It's our job. They told us to do this. He's just another criminal. They didn't know. They didn't understand. And so we're going to see that Jesus actually prays for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, what we want to do just for a few minutes, let's talk about forgiveness, just for a minute, okay? And I've got two questions that I want us to see. First of all, what is forgiveness and how we receive forgiveness of sin? First of all, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness literally means to release the debt. The Greek word means to lift up and take away. It means to let something go. If you forgive someone, you basically say, I don't hold you to that debt. I just, I let it go. That's what forgiveness is. And we need to forgive others and we need forgiveness. But here's the question. How do we receive forgiveness of sin, Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done wrong. We need to be forgiven by God. How do we receive forgiveness of sin? And the answer simply is by faith. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you trust in Him for eternal life... The Word of God says that He gives you the forgiveness of sin. I've got a couple of verses there. Acts 10.43, Acts 13.38. Listen to this. just want to read it to you. Acts 10.43 says, Of Him, speaking of Jesus, Of Him, of Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sin of sins that's Acts 10:43 Acts 13:38 says therefore let it be known to you brethren that through him through Jesus forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you In order to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, we must have forgiveness, the forgiveness of sin. This comes by faith. Every one of you in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted in Him and Him alone for eternal life, the moment you believed in Him for eternal life, He has given to you forgiveness of sins. And you have that relationship and fellowship with him so in order to have an eternal relationship you have to have forgiveness of sins now with that in mind, I want to stop for a second because I want you to understand there is a difference between and there's a difference between the payment for sin and forgiveness of sin there are two different things in the scripture I want you to see them first of all let's talk about payment of sin payment uh, go back. Yeah, Payment of sin comes by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're seeing Jesus die on the cross. When he dies on the cross, he pays for the sins of every person. 1 John 2.2 two, He's the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. When Jesus died on the cross, every sin of every person who's ever lived past, present, future, every sin was placed on Christ, and he paid the penalty for sin. The payment of sin was made when Jesus died on the cross, 1 Peter 2.2. 24 he bore in his body our sins so i want you to understand the payment of sin comes when jesus came when jesus christ died on the cross and paid for our sins every human being has already the payment for sin okay now there's a second thing and that's Forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is what you have to have to have your relationship and fellowship with God. Forgiveness of sin comes by faith. Romans 4, 7 says, Blessed are those who have their sins forgiven. All people have the payment for sin. That does not give salvation. Only those who believe have the forgiveness of sin. And that's the difference. So understand, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for every sin, Every person has the payment of sin. But it is the forgiveness of sin that you must have in order to have an eternal relationship with God. And the only way you have forgiveness of sin is by faith. So when you believe in Jesus, and I hope and pray that everyone in this room, that if somebody said to you, do you think you have eternal life? Do you think you have forgiveness of sin? Yes, I do, because I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the moment I believed in Him, He gave me the forgiveness of sin. When He died on the cross, He paid for my sin When I believe in Him, I receive the forgiveness of sin. I hope you understand that. We're into theology, okay? It's a little bit different than just, you know, this is a little bit hard, so I want you to think about it. Now, there's one other thing that I need to remind you of, because here's the question people say. They say, so so you're telling me that when I believe in Jesus, right then I have the forgiveness of all my sins forever. That's right. You have a relationship with Him forever, and you have forgiveness of sin. Then you say, but, but doesn't the Bible say that when I sin as a Christian that I need to confess my sin so that I can receive forgiveness of sin? That's exactly right. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you receive the forgiveness of sin in your relationship with Him. That never changes. But sin in the Christian life deals with your fellowship with Him and so when you sin as a believer, you now lose your fellowship. You can never lose your relationship. So experientially, when you sin as a Christian, you need to confess your sin. First John one nine: if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He forgives us in our fellowship, not our relationship. Our relationship, you have that for all eternity. I hope that makes sense. So just remember this, that by faith... You have forgiveness in your relationship. By confession, you have forgiveness in your fellowship. And they're two different things. Well, we hit on a lot. We hit on the difference between payment of sin and forgiveness of sin. And then we looked at the two different aspects of forgiveness of sin for relationship and forgiveness of sin for fellowship. I hope you got it. If you don't have it completely, call me and we'll meet and talk about it. Oh, we'll go over it again sometime. But let's see what happens. Notice, but, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them they do not know what they're doing and then notice what happened and they cast lots dividing his garments among themselves look what they did and this fulfills notice this casting lots for his garments fulfills Psalm 22 verse 18 now I want to read something to you you don't have to turn there this is John chapter 19 verses 23 and 24 listen to this the soldiers therefore when they crucified Jesus took his outer garment and made four parts a part to every soldier and also the tunic now here's the tunic The tunic is the inner garment, and the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. And they said to one another, let's not tear it, let's cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture would be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So they fulfilled Psalm 22, which was written a thousand years before. If you'd asked them, uh, what about Psalm 22? You think you guys are going to work that one out? They just said we don't even know what you, we don't know any Psalm 22, and yet they fulfilled the Scripture exactly. Notice what happened. We're going to see another thing. And the people stood by, looking on. Even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, "He saved others; let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one." They're mocking him. Notice this: they made fun and mocked him. This fulfills Psalm 22 verses 7 and 8, where they they made faces at him, they mocked him. In fact, literally, the Greek says they kept. On mocking him. And notice what they say. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen one. Well, understand something. One of the other gospels says, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross. He cannot come down from the cross. If Jesus saves Himself, He cannot save us. He is dying for us. He is our substitute. He is dying in our place. He came to die for us. He did not come to save His life. He came to give His life. He came to do the will of the Father. He cannot come down. And we better be glad that He did not come down. Do you know what they're actually saying? If you're the Christ, prove it. He's going to prove it. Not by coming off the cross but by rising from the dead. Three days later, he's going to come back from the dead. That's the proof that he's the Son of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he is declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus could say this if he wanted to. I'm not going to come down to prove it. If you'll give me a couple of days, I'll prove it to you. So I'm going to die and rise again. That's the proof. He didn't come down. He came up from the grave. That's the proof that he's the Messiah. Well, there's more. Verse 36, soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They did the same thing. They didn't understand it. They're making fun of him. And then finally, look at the inscription above his head, verse 38. Now, there was an inscription above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. If you take all the gospels, put them together, it literally says, the best we can tell from the writing, it said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. All of the writers don't tell us everything the king of the Jews. It was written in three languages, by the way. It was written in Hebrew so the Jews could read. It was written in Latin for the Romans. It was written in Greek for the people as a whole. Jesus on the cross is dying for us. I am so glad that he did not come down. What have we seen? We'll see a lot more next time. But what we've seen this time is that Jesus on the cross with two criminals. Jesus gave his first saying, forgive them. There's the fulfillment of many of these prophecies. The crowd was mocking him and saying, come down, come down. But he can't because he's saving us. And then there was the sign that said Jesus is the king of the Jews. Let me give you some applications. first one is this. Understand the difference between forgiveness of sin and payment of sin. Understand that difference. Here it is. A, Jesus paid for all sin by his death on the cross. 1 John 2, 2. He's the factory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So just remember this, the payment of sin came when Jesus Christ died on the cross. B, but forgiveness of sin comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of us, every human being has payment of sin. Only those who believe in Jesus have forgiveness of sin, Acts 10.43 and Acts 13.38. Uh, so we, we want the forgiveness. So number two, here's another thing. just remember, Jesus came to save us, not himself. A, Jesus died in our place on the cross. He could not come down. He was our substitute. When they were making fun of him and saying, if you're really the Christ, come down. He's saying, because I'm really the Christ, I cannot come down. I'm paying the penalty. I'm being the substitute. And so bottom line for us is trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. Now, he's already already provided the payment of sin because he died on the cross and paid for sin. You need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And it comes simply by faith. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, right where you're sitting right now, you can believe in Him. You can believe that He died for you on the cross, paid for sin and rose again. You can trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life, and He will give you At that exact second you believe, he will give you the forgiveness of sin and you'll have an eternal relationship with him. So, trust in him for the forgiveness of sin is so powerful. The third thing, and just I want to throw this out expect ridicule when you stand for Christ because what they do to Jesus when he's on the cross, he was mocked. And we saw that Jesus said, If they had, you know, if they mocked me, if they hated me, they'll hate you, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. When we identify with Jesus Christ, you can go to B, when we identify with Christ, expect it. There are many of you in college, I am so proud of you. You stand for Jesus Christ. You're making a difference on this campus. You are changing lives. But when you do that, when you stand for that, expect that the average world, this whole world, is not going to love you and not going to like you. Because you're standing for Jesus Christ. And you're going contrary to this fallen world system. And when you do that, there are going to be people make fun of you. There are going to be people against you. And you just got to stand. You understand, expect the ridicule when that happens. As we stand for Christ knowing that Jesus died and rose again for sin, may we realize that He brings forgiveness to all who believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great morning. Thank you for our time. Thank you for these great truths. Lord, may we understand, I hope and pray, we all understand the difference between forgiveness of sin and payment for sin. Realize that Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin and whoever believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that Jesus came not for himself but for us. He became our substitute and died and I pray and I hope, Lord, that everyone in this room has trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We expect uh, uh, that when we stand for Jesus in a fallen world, especially these college students on this campus, that they will be mocked sometimes because we identify with our Savior. Lord, use us for your honor and your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.